Hey guys, and welcome to the Movement Docs Podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Mike. And we're just two guys who want to help students and clinicians grow in the field of rehab. Welcome to the show. I hit the button already. Yes. <laughs> we're on. We're live. <laughs> we're doing it live. Okay. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 26 of the Movement Docs podcast. Uh, today we got a special guest with us, um, one of our dudes from Clinical Athlete, Dr. Josh Walters, PTDPT. Uh, Josh earned his doctorate of physical therapy from the University of St. Augustine for Health Sciences in Austin, Texas, as well as a Bachelor's of Science in Kinesiology from Abilene Christian University. Uh, he's Texas born and raised. He made sure in his bio that he capitalized that. All of those letters, multiple exclamation points, and in parentheses. Um, so I think he's very proud of that. Most of his background in the movement sciences comes from his sports background, playing high school football and track, as well as training in powerlifting, bodybuilding, CrossFit, and now Olympic weightlifting, which he's doing full time. He works for Samaritan Healthcare in Sweet Home, Oregon, and owns the Human Movement Rehab and Training in Corvallis, Oregon, and is on the USA weightlifting medical team. Most of his academic endeavors revolve around strength training through the lifespan, the long-term athlete development model, concussions, and the diverse spectrum of pain science and patient empowerment. Besides reading research and telling corny dad jokes, dude, we're getting along so well. His hobbies include picking up heavy stuff and also getting to get along really well. With his and friends, good food and drinks, music and concerts, and just about any sport you can think of. Josh, welcome to the show, man. Thank you guys so very much for having me, and uh, your bio and uh, introduction skills are pretty solid, Jacob. I, uh, I got to say, man, I appreciate that. <laughs> As I read this, I'm, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, man, I must have been really feeling myself that day with all that information. Like, goodness gracious. So I apologize if I seem a little bit, you know, cocky with that intro. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, Josh, I also just want to make a public apology um, a while back, you had messaged me on clinical athlete asking for concussion stuff. And yes. I think it took like three months to get it to you. Dude, I'm so sorry. Clinical athlete goes through my other email address from when I was at UVA. Gotcha. And so I, I very rarely get it. And I'm not, I have not been on as frequently as I'd like to, especially this year since I started working. So for um, sure, just, just, just want to say sorry, dude. Dude, it's all good. So I got it. And so I look at it in the first few files. Like I was like, oh, hey, you know, PDFs work. And then I got through the ones that I really needed to. Like the, I think it was like either the scat or something. But it was all in like Apple format. And of course, I'm the oddball that always has a PC and an Android. So I get made fun of all the time. So I'm like, I can't even read this anyways. What am I doing? I'm new to this forum. And I, I ask the dumb questions anyways. And yeah, it would be my luck. But, but we got it all sorted out and it was great and I'm, I'm genuinely appreciative thank you jacob dude i hope i hope any of that stuff helped out um, yeah and speaking of we are actually um trying to implement a new concussion protocol for, uh, through the hospital um we kind of serve in a pretty underserved uh area here uh, in western oregon and so we're, we're trying to get into the local high schools and middle schools and kind of educate the doctors as well as um, the coaches and teachers on concussion management and stuff like that and actually thanks to you guys i got introduced to uh dr marshall and uh, complete concussion management have been taking that course and uh it's been awesome information to provide so we're uh, we're trying to get this ball rolling on um, taking care of uh everybody when it comes to concussion and post-concussive symptoms Hey, that's so cool, man. 
So small world. Whoa. Is my like super like echoey? Is everyone else hear that? I feel like I'm in space. I'm good just on my end. It might be just you. Okay, it's probably my headphones are super old, so that's probably just me. Um, okay, but dude, that's that's <laughs> awesome. I'm, I'm dude. Cam is, Cam is, Cam is, Cam is so, so cool. cool. He's like he's the like OG, OG of fashion research. research. Yeah, and I mean, he's been super approachable. Like, I feel kind of dumb because I'm taking forever to get through this course, but like, he's always been super responsive. Like, hey, can't wait for you to check this out. You know, send me any feedback, any questions. Like, been absolutely phenomenal up through this whole process. So I'm I'm excited to learn from him. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. awesome. <laughs> well, very good. So, what are we uh, what are we kind of talking about today? Jake, what do you think? Um, Mike, that's an excellent question. I'm going to scroll through the Google Doc and see if I can come up with an answer for you. Uh, I'm probably going to ask Josh a very generic question about his background so that more of our listeners can get to know him. Uh, we're probably talk about his brand, the Human Movement Rehab. Did I say that right? Yes. Okay. Um, and then probably the ethical dilemma of evidence-based practice, because that's what we put on here. Also concussions, because we just started talking about that. Probably strength training, because I know my dude uh, is an only lifter, and um, we've had some interactions on IG about, like, lifting, lifting lingo and whatnot. So mm-hmm. um, lots of cool stuff. And then potentially beer, mm-hmm. because he told us how much of a beer aficionado he is. Okay. And, um, well, we put the aficionado title on there. Okay, I am an amateur, <laughs> to say the least. I, I try not to be too much of a beer snob, but I do have my money. So I step on way too many people's toes, and like I'm going to start getting people on ID. Like you don't know anything about beer. I'm like, calm down. It's okay. I'm gonna pay a pretty good beer. That's all I got to say. <laughs> So, um, Josh, with our generic background question that I always end up asking people, uh, for our listeners who don't really know much about you, can you tell us more about yourself? Now, let's see. What did the bio not cover? So, um, I'm a pretty laid back kind of guy. I'm very much about getting to know people. Uh, I love getting to hear people's stories and just kind of seeing how, what I can glean from different experiences. Um, I'm a big San Antonio Spurs fan. So right now my playoff life is a little bit rough, although we did win today. So it's important, but, um, like I love college football and, um, definitely anything in the strength sports realm. Uh, I am currently engaged. We are set to be married in later, uh, late October to my wonderful fiance. We've known each other almost 10 years now. Just about oh, right. 10 years in September. So uh, we're both pumped and uh, got a lot of life happening right now. So, yeah, mm. it's me. Awesome. Well, congrats Dude, on that. Dude, so how did, you end up, how did you end up in Oregon? You're from Texas, right? Yes, I but am you, Texan. <laughs> but didn't you do some school or like at least a clinical in Florida? With Derek? Yeah, so I was all over the board when I was in school as far as uh, where my rotations were. So my first two, um, so we did three rotations and then a fourth optional one. So my first two were in uh, in Texas. So I did one kind of close to home in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I did my uh, my second one a little bit further away in my uh, college town in Abilene uh, at a skilled nursing facility out there. And then uh, from there, I went to Atlanta, Georgia, or just west of Atlanta in Snellville and did um, some my outpatient orthopedics one there. And then I did my last one at uh, University of Florida with, with Derek Miles. Nice. 
So, and then Oregon was kind of a, a funny happenstance. So, um, I proposed to my fiance December of 2016. And like, as we were talking about kind of figuring out where we'd want to end up, like we always joked that when, if we left Texas, we'd have to find a place that had all four seasons and a little bit of snow. And so like, I'm thinking all over the maps, like, are we going to Utah? Are we going to Colorado? I mean, I had just left Atlanta, like in the fall, which was absolutely gorgeous, but nobody can drive. And then, uh, I got this, uh, call from a recruiter about a position out here in Oregon. Um, and then I, we went out for a visit. I got to meet the rehab director and what the hospital is doing and it's growing and really, um, contributing to the community. And so that really stood out to me. And my, uh, my boss is big into like, Hey, you take your skill set, And if you give it back to the community, I fully support what you're able to do. So I want to help, you know, you be the best therapist, person community person as much as you can and so i'm all about it so i was like i'm all in which is enough for me that's sweet that's so when yeah. did you move out there uh so i moved out here may of last year so i've been here just under a year okay and are you doing mostly – are you inpatient with the hospital or are you doing outpatient stuff so i'm in a satellite clinic um satellite outpatient clinic of the hospital so okay. a lot of general population stuff. Most of our uh, our population is a little bit older. Um, it's more of a retirement community kind of out this way. Um, but I do see a couple kiddos from time to time. So just anything that comes through the door. Nice. And then you moonlight with your, your other gig, right? Yes. <laughs> Some like weightlifting, Olympic lifting, CrossFit medicine? That's correct. So uh, funny enough, the, the human movement was kind of the brainchild – uh, from a conversation I had with Jared Aguilar from the uh, Duck Legs podcast. Um, I was one of the first people that he had on. We were joking uh, on one of his shows about, you know, we need to be better humans was kind of like the big part of the conversation. And so I kind of took that idea and was like, you know, I, I do want to get more into the sports medicine side of things and um, have the flexibility to work with strength athletes and things like that since that's been more of my passion and more of my background. And so that's how the human movement came along. So I started that in September of last year and um, been plugged into a local gym in Corvallis and love it. And so now I um, split a little bit of time in Corvallis and a little bit of time in Eugene um, on weekends as well too. And then how did you get in with the uh, USAW? Um, so in my first national meet, which was last year uh, in Grand Rapids, I got to know a couple members of the medical team and I was super interested in it. I talked to a couple of the uh, athletic trainers and PTs that were in the back and I was like, how did you guys get involved? And they're like, yo, talk to, um, Dr. Lavalli, um, who is a DO and he's the head of the medical for, um, the USOC, I want to say. And so I got connected with him and he's like, Hey, can you help out after, uh, after worlds are done? I'm like, absolutely. And so I did junior nationals at the beginning of this year in February and it's a ton of fun, and I'm stoked about the next event I get to do. So it's a, it's a cool opportunity to get to give back to a sport. Um, I mean, it's completely volunteer-based, but I love getting in that invo- uh, environment. And so there's something about just being around a platform and competition, man. It's just it's a ton of fun. <laughs> and so you did, according to your bio, you've been through powerlifting, bodybuilding, CrossFit, and now Oli. Yes. How'd you get into Olympic lifting? Like, what was your progression of strength sports? Okay. Um, so I did more traditional bodybuilding type training or, um, I guess 
general physical preparedness, like GPP stuff when I was um, in track and in football in high school. I mean, we did basic power cleans and, you know, just did a whole lot of traditional strength training for sport. And then um, after I walked on to uh, ACU for track, which I didn't last very long, I was training with some power lifters um, and a couple of competitive bodybuilders um, at the local gym. And like, it was just fun because they were the, the biggest dudes in the gym and everybody kind of gave us these weird, dirty looks for taking all the plates, which was kind of half the fun. And then um, <laughs> later in undergrad, I kind of got introduced to CrossFit. There were a couple gyms that had started to pick up in the area. And then one of the guys um, got pretty big and made it to the games about a year after I left school. And so I trained a little bit of CrossFit, ended up coaching CrossFit for the first year and a half. I was in PT school. And then I realized that I was way too fat to be going upside down and overhead and doing weird stuff. So I was like, you know what? The heavy barbell has always been a good friend of mine. So uh, let's do what this uh, weightlifting thing is all about. And, it's been a uh, love at first barbell ever since. So there you go. <laughs> Dude, that's, that's awesome. I, uh, I don't know if you know, but I just bought some Olympic lifting shoes. So I saw that <laughs> I too, I too am a, uh, am a weightlifter now. Yeah, you are. Uh, <laughs> it's been said that, um, if you can properly front rack that your bench isn't big enough. <laughs> and uh, that definitely sounds like, I like to... logic for sure. <laughs> A hundred percent. This probably explains why my front rack is a piece of crap right now and why it's <laughs> terrible. So makes sense. <laughs> oh, dude, that's awesome. So when are you gonna when are you gonna make the switch to strongman, Josh? When's that gonna happen? Uh, I think it's not in the foreseeable future. My my goal is to make at least um, nationals, if not um, AO finals, uh, American Open finals. Hopefully within the next few years, um, I'd like to get into coaching as well too. So um, my coach is also kind of mentoring me in the process of coaching because I think there's such a, a wonderful kind of uh, spectrum between, you know, athletic endeavors as well as the rehab side. It's more of a, you know, a lot of blending in that. I think you see that with like Quinn and a lot of the other people on clinical athlete. So I want to provide that to the Olympic weightlifting community and to the CrossFit community um, through the human movement. Hmm. Love it. That's awesome. I uh, I too one day want to do an Olympic lifting meet, um, but I don't know when that's gonna happen. I've seen you do some stone cleans. I think with a little bit of help with actually transitioning to a barbell, you might not be all that bad. I mean, we know you're powerful enough, so let's uh, let's let's get a barbell in your hands, see what you can do. <laughs> one one day, I have the shoes, right? So that's the first. <laughs> hey, look, that's half the battle. If we get you in some like other wrist wraps too, we're golden. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All I need is some ace ace bandages around my knees and I'm good. Done. I got you. <laughs> That's perfect. Uh Josh, do you have any absurd habits or crazy things that you love? Yes. So recently, I think within the last six months, I've discovered I love maple donuts. Um, so there are really good donut shops out here, um, that I'm kind of addicted to. And so I always get maple donuts. I've had no idea. I liked them and no idea they were a thing until like we moved out here. So I'm a big maple donuts person and I chronically forget to close things. So it is a pet peeve of my fiance that I leave like doors and cabinets open. I'm probably somewhere on the ADD spectrum, just a tiny bit. You will probably find that out through this, you know, conversation today. Um, so, you know, that probably explains a lot of it. 
<laughs> now, are you near Voodoo Donuts? So I had Voodoo when it was in Austin, and then I've had Voodoo in Portland. They're not my favorite, I'm going to be honest. Um, they're cool because they're a little different and eclectic, but um, they're not my favorite donut. Hmm. So where would where, where is, do you go? What is yeah. Okay. So – my hometown spot back in, uh, uh, in the Dallas area. So this is actually, I actually met my fiance here and, um, well, sort of, she worked at this donut shop uh, in town. So there's a little bit of some nostalgia there too, but they actually really do have good donuts. Their yeast donuts are the best. It's called Max's. Um, at one point it was on Yahoo's top 10 donut places in the entire country. It's awesome. Just a little mom and pop kind of place. Um, so they have really good yeast donuts. And then right now, if you want a good cake donut, there's Benny's. It's a local spot in Corvallis that's run by um, a couple of Oregon State grads. Phenomenal, like freshly fried, like custom cake donuts are amazing. So good. Mm. What is the what's the difference between a yeast donut and a cake donut? So like your normal glazed donut that you kind of see, um, that's kind of a little bit softer, more chewy. That's a yeast donut, and then your cake donuts are the ones that are a little bit thicker. Oh, cool. No idea. Yeah, the cake ones are usually when you go to Dunkin' Donuts and somebody gets like a assorted like dozen. The cake ones are like the unflavored ones that nobody wants, and just they just get left in the box that you have to sadly take home. Um, okay, so two things: one, shame if, for going to Dunkin' Donuts in the first place. Two, they're also wrong for leaving the cake donuts because those should be the first thing you go for. Mm-hmm. So I would say yes, if you go to a place that's not Dunkin' Donuts and they make a really good cake donut, then I would go for the cake, like hands down. Like blueberry cake donuts are one of my favorite donuts you, of all time. There you go. They're so good. Okay, so um, general question for for the both of you: um, Shipley's, Dunkin', or um, uh, Krispy Kreme? Of the three, if you had to pick a major donut, uh, Tim Hortons. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> all right. Other. I've not had Tim Hortons, yeah. but all right. I do like Tim Hortons. There's there's um, another one. I've never, like, I've never heard of Shipley's. Yeah, Shipley's. I've never heard of Shipley's oh. either. It's in the South, so uh, Shipley's is big in Texas. Oh. Okay. So we need to get you guys out there. I need to get you on some barbecue and some tacos. We'll get you right. All right. So I did. So when I was working for UVA football, we did go out to play TCU. Yeah. And so we stayed in Dallas. Yes. And we went to this one restaurant, and I don't know if this is going to be, like, all hype or, or, like, it's, like, a touristy thing, but there's this place out there called Heart 8. I think I know what you're talking about. Go ahead. That was, like, the best – some of the best food I've ever had in my entire life. Okay. Uh, I haven't been through that part of Fort Worth in a while, so I'm going to have to go check that out the next time I'm in there. Uh, my brother is working in Fort Worth now, so I have an excuse, so I'll see what he's up to. But it was like you walk up to the to the, the the restaurant, yeah. And to go into the restaurant, they just have a bunch of pits, like barbecue pits outside, yep. and like grills and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you walk through with a tray, and you just tell them what you want, and everything's like pay per pound, yep. or per item. That's that's mm-hmm. should be for a good barbecue joint. If you can't smell like either the pits or the smoke or something of that nature close to a barbecue joint, you're in the wrong spot. That's just a safe rule of thumb. No. <laughs> we have yeah, we don't really have a lot of barbecue places in Winchester. I think there is just one that is it's probably not like 
the best barbecue place in the world, but it's still pretty good. Uh, Bonnie Blues. But that's that's probably nothing compared to what you guys are mentioning. And it's funny. Dude, you got to go to Jordan Springs, man. Have you ever been to Jordan Springs, Mike? Mm, is that the – which it, one is that? It's a gas station in the middle of Stevenson, Virginia. It's like it's like close out to where Brad lives. But it's just this gas station in the middle of nowhere, and they have fantastic barbecue. Hmm. Another good tip, if you ask – if you have to ask anybody for recommendations for a food spot – Ask strongman athletes and weightlifters, especially the heavier weight classes, because you can't go wrong. Obviously, they got to that size for you know a specific purpose, and it wasn't by accident. So I will forever be like the extra fluffy 85 for the rest of my life, and I fully embrace that. But I'm going to enjoy that with really good food. So there you go. That's fair. That's a good tip. <laughs> Mike, we got to take you to Jordan Springs. All right. You also need to go to Sweet Nola's. Yes. I know. You got to go there, too. Bunch of good Cajun food there. There we go. Dude, I got to take you on another restaurant trip. Josh, I went down there to visit Mike in Pensacola over Easter. Yeah. And we just went on, like, a restaurant tour mm-hmm. the whole time we were mm-hmm. there um, because he, had, he hadn't really eaten any of the local food. That's a shame. And I was like, dude, <laughs> dude, you got to go to this taco place. We're going to talk about this taco place on, like, 15 of our episodes. Let's go. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> It's so good. <laughs> I kept telling him, I was like, I was like, Mike, there's literally, there's this like talk. It's like, it looks like a, from outside. It looks like a shanty town. There's like this, like just collection of trailers and like tarps and plastic lawn furniture. that like, looks like they're squatting on the grass next to an abandoned shell station. Much. And that is consistently ranked one of the top five, top three taco restaurants in the country. The best thing I think with especially those taco cars or like those taco trucks is like the seedier it looks, typically the better the food is. So if you know that the locals eat there or the Hispanics eat there, you can't really go wrong. You really can't. No, dude, there's like a there's like a shirtless like Hispanic guy with like an apron on grilling, like just cow tongue in the back of the, of their little trailer park. Have you had lingua before? It's beautiful. Have you had lingua? Did you Dude, they have the best, they have the best tacos lingua I've ever had in my entire oh, life. so good. Mike, Mike can tell you, like I, all I talked about was those beef tongue tacos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You got off the plane. So he'll, he'll appreciate this. Um, La Tienda was a taco spot in Gainesville that I got. I went there probably like six times while I was there uh, during my rotation. Best lingua and barbacoa tacos I've had. And like that's coming from Texas. So I feel like it's almost sacrilege to say that out loud. So. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but but then see, then you kind of get into the argument of like, is it Tex-Mex or is it like traditional like. Tacos. So those were traditional tacos. There are very distinct differences. Most of Tex-Mex is covered with cheese and just a, it's a whole different spice profile. So Tex-Mex has its place. Like Tex-Mex will stuff an avocado with like chorizo and cheese and rice and, you know, beans and then just you go to town. But like there are times where I just want like a really good taco al pastor or, um, or lingua and I'm perfectly happy. So there's a place for both. You don't have to discriminate. There, there is a place for both, and it's usually in yes, my stomach. Yes, fact. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's uh, awesome. Gone off the road. <laughs> I love it. Oh, this is it. This, this is how we do it, though. 
I love Usually it. we'll just go down so many different rabbit holes, which is just wonderful. I admire I love it. So appreciative. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Josh is probably closer as far as like, seems how his brain works is very similar to how my brain works. Um, so it works well. Mike, you're going to have to, you're going to have to keep us on track, yeah. man. Mike, if you've got to rein us in, please, by all means, like I, I will not feel offended. My fiance has to deal with me and my friends talking about this kind of stuff all the time. So by all means, I'm used to it. It's all good. <laughs> no, nah, we're good, man. I'm just enjoying the ride. Uh, <laughs> Well, here's a question for you. So, uh, you know, in your bio, you kind of mentioned you, uh, you've been a personal trainer, fitness coach uh, for the past like seven years. Uh, during this time, wh- what have you learned about yourself uh, when working with clients or patients or any of that kind of stuff? Oh, man, it, uh, there's been a lot of really good lessons. Uh, you can definitely glean a little bit of something from everyone. I think even if there are people that you disagree with or come from a different walk of life from you, like there's something that you can probably appreciate about them or that you can kind of take a mental note about. Um, one of my favorite sayings, uh, Derek introduced it to me first, and I feel like I've seen it everywhere since then, is uh, be always confident but never sure. Um, there's something to be said about being confident in your um, your stance on where you, whether it's um, you know a topic of conversation or whatever the case may be, but when you try to put too much uh, emphasis on that and being like absolutely sure, you know, when we, we create ultimatums, that's typically where we see um, some some problems. Um, I love this idea that, uh, no one's too good for the basics. Um, it's funny to me sometimes when I, when I'm on social media or I I go to a a friend's gym and like, I see all these super extravagant, you know, rehab exercises or corrective exercises or whatever you want to call them. And I'm like, is this really necessary? Um, how do they do, how do they do a hip hinge? How do they do a squat? How do they do a press? You know, what do these things look like? How do they get up out of bed? You know, do we really need to get extremely extravagant our quote unquote sports specific skills, or do they just need to kind of approach the basics a little bit better? Um, and also my, my favorite thing too, especially in working with CrossFitters and also getting to treat them a little bit more now, um, anybody who loves burpees is a liar. Burpees are of It's <laughs> what it is. Especially if you're north of like two, two fifty, two thirty. I, I think if you're north of like ninety five pounds, like just they're just <laughs> <laughs> brutal. <laughs> I love I love those two quotes that you've just mentioned. You know, um, no one is too good for the basis, especially because I feel like especially in today's society, even with this, like things that you see on Instagram and stuff like that too. Like, um, you know, it's almost like we're trying to find like the, the most flashy thing that you can do or like, uh, this, this really cool exercise or something like that. When in fact, you really just need to teach somebody the fun fundamentals, get a good foundation of movement or a basis for that. And then build from there. Um, I mean, there are always yeah. going to be contexts where like that super crazy thing that you saw on Instagram might be applicable, but in the grand scheme of things, most people, need very simple things and like if it's simple and effective kind of like how um when you guys talked to um zach abor like aquin's razor like when you have a multitude of options go with the simplest one is typically the most effective one so we don't need mm-hmm. to overcomplicate things yeah it's the truth it's, man i mean like most everybody needs uh for lack of a better term butt stuff yeah so um you know, isolate those glutes a little bit, work on some stability, work on some hip hinging. 
a lot of stuff kind of clears up after that. Yeah. Regression to the mean, you know, whatever you want, whatever kind of context or you want to spin on it. Yeah. Um, A lot of this stuff works because it's probably novel to whatever the brain is interpreting at this point. So it's something different. It's a different approach. So you're going to elicit some sort of change, um, positive, negative, or somewhere in between. I, I do like the, the fitness crazes of like the, the functional fitness movement and all that stuff where like it was almost a race to see how many different things you could do on a BOSU ball with a barbell on your back. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's almost like a, like West side for functional lifting. <laughs> um, like put somebody on a BOSU ball with a bamboo on their back, hanging kettlebells, chains, reverse bands, uh, in a squat suit, with like all these shoes and then they got to go to like a low bar stance uh, and try to squat 15 times and then do like a backflip onto three other BOSU balls um, and then land kneeling onto a Swiss ball. Yeah. And you look at all this and you ask why, like, I think half the time you see so many views on those stupid videos because they're the pure shock value of it, but also people like literally staring at their phones asking why the heck would you do this? I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It just baffles me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bosu balls. You know, I just recently learned what that stands for. Do you guys what does it stand for? I'm, I'm, I'm both sure. sides up. Huh? Huh? Because there's a flat side, and then there's the like the yeah. like bolly side. Okay. You know what? That, uh, both that makes sides up. I learned something new today. Thanks, thanks for that, yeah, Jacob. The more Appreciate you know. That. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> you have to say it with an English accent, or else it just it loses its effect. Mike lead us. <laughs> That's too funny. Uh, well, good stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, let's talk a little bit about. Uh, everything that's going on with Instagram. So, you know, you, you mentioned uh, in your like Instagram bio, like movement is medicine, you know, like what does this catchphrase mean to you? How do you implement that into your practice? Um, so in a couple different ways, the, the big one that stands out to me is um, when you, when you talk to somebody and you like, you introduce yourself in a conversation to somebody new, the first question is typically like, what do you do? And we typically identify ourselves by the things that we do. And so doing is active. So doing is some sort of movement of some sort, uh, whether it's, you know, a sport or a hobby or things like that, or your, your occupation. So that kind of represents who we are. Um, I think we've seen enough in the literature and even anecdotally that, humans are not meant to stay still for very long. Um, there's obviously a place for rest and recovery and like, that's just as important, but, um, in itself, just kind of understanding how we are as humans is its own medicine. And a lot of times it involves just being a better mover, especially when it comes to our, uh, uh our field. Yeah. Just need to move in general. <laughs> Do you feel, yes, just do something. Just do something, please. As Shia LaBeouf would say, just do it. <laughs> but I need that Shia LaBeouf um, video just like on complete instant access, like at all times. Um, I do see a fair amount of bariatric patients in my in my clinic and just like having, giving them the boat of confidence to say you're not as fragile as you think you are. Do something. And it, I 
guarantee you, you will see with some consistency, some changes that are going to be for your benefit. Just do something. Mm-hmm. You find that that happens quite frequently where uh, people are almost afraid to move or are uh, scared to move or, or any of that kind of thing. And you have to, uh, I guess, give them that confidence to continue to move or, or, or help them see the importance of movement. All the time. Um, you know, we, we've come from a very bioanatomical model where like the diagnosis is the key. Like that's, that's the key to all of your problems. And it definitely dichotomizes movement. And, you know, it can also just incite fear and a lot of thought viruses and all the things that we're seeing in the pain science literature right now. Um, and then it also just challenges your confidence when you identify yourself, especially like in the sports and orthopedics world, if you identify yourself as a runner, you identify yourself as a bodybuilder and you're told like, yeah, sorry, um, your back's so screwed up. You can't, you know, bench or deadlift or anything else like that ever again. Sorry about you. Find a new hobby. Like, what is that? What do you do? Yeah. <laughs> like I, I was told by two orthopedic surgeons that I needed, uh, both of my hips, uh, scoped and, uh, both labrums repaired about two and a half years ago. Oof. And I should never squat again. Like, what? Oh my gosh. I squatted, I high bar squatted 414 for a double on two really bad hips, and you're going to tell me never to squat again? Mm. Okay. <laughs> sure. That's just, it's mind boggling. It kind of blows my mind that, you know, you have to, that you get that. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's tough, man. I, I think it, it's hard because uh, in, in the healthcare field, we're, we're relied on so heavily to be right or to be problem solvers. I, I use more problem solvers than fixers because I think fixers then kind of gets us into the mentality that it's it's our hands, it's our it's our um, diagnoses, it's our skills, quote unquote, that actually are what get people better or like in, you know enlighten them to something. But I think we're better suited walking along with our patients, with our clients, for them to be the humans that they need to be. Mm-hmm. And that might mean just meeting them where they're at. Yeah. If they don't know how to get up out of a chair because they've been afraid that their spine is going to snap into, talk to them about what how resilient their spine is. Mm-hmm. Or the fact that getting your legs stronger is going to help you get out of the chair. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Or that x-ray that they thought was so scary that might have had one small protrusion of like three discs, you know, really doesn't have to equate to all the sensations that they're feeling. Like we, uh, like your brain is processing so much stuff from your stress level to the lack of sleep that you had, or the fact that you're worried about your kids, you know, and their environment and the other stresses of life all add up to this person that's in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, human beings are complex for one, (laughs) which is truth. But I love, I love a lot of the stuff that you just said there, you know, like meeting your patient where you're at, um, and, and being almost like a steward to kind of help them, um, find the confidence that they need, um, to, to go on and be autonomous on their own, you know? Um, because I feel like a lot of times, um, maybe the way that treatments were done in the past and stuff was just like, all right, well, I'm going to do this stuff to you. Um, and you're going to feel better. And then you're probably going to have to come back and see me. Um, and so on and so forth. But, you know, it seems like we're, we're kind of getting into that, that realm where, uh, we're giving the patient, you know, the confidence and the ability for them to, to, to move forward and, and take control, uh, of their situation, you know, and kind of help them motivate and, and continue to move forward. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, there is, you just mentioned it uh, to just like kind of bringing some of the, the, that fear down, um, explaining mm-hmm. like triple D or degenerative disc disease is like, uh, just like a normal, like 
normal aging kind of thing where like, you know, sometimes you get wrinkles on your face. Well, triple G is almost mm-hmm. just like wrinkles on the inside <laughs> in a way. Oh yeah. yeah. I love that, uh, that analogy. I actually, I've used that one a lot with, um, some of my, I, I've apparently it's all my older ladies go to the same doctor who goes through the same thing with this x-ray and that's a whole nother story. But like, I, uh, I bring up their x-rays usually with them and they usually will ask about it and it's like, congratulations, you're not a unicorn. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's fine. <laughs> like if you, if you somehow were not having bone spurs or like your disc height change at all, you would have the key to the fountain of youth and we would need to market this. And I would want, to be the one marketing this for you like for real so a lot of times when they kind of see the humor and the silliness almost in how we create such big problems out of things that are fairly common mm-hmm. you know they feel like okay this isn't so bad this is approachable like this can matter to me and actually be okay yeah no that's huge <laughs> that's so cool <laughs> Uh, one of my one of my coworkers and I we were joking the other day. I think sometimes we're, it's more we do more of what we call perspective therapy rather than physical therapy because okay. we're really altering like altering people's perspectives or reframing you know how they see themselves and how they see the things that they're trying to get back to and um, in a lot of cases that goes really really far. Yeah, well, I mean, mindset's pretty much everything, right? You know, um, I feel like if you can change the way that you see or perceive whatever it is that you're going through, it, it ultimately will help like make you more successful. Uh, I mean, obviously there's some limitations to that, but to be able to... sorry about the internet issues <laughs> uh, life happens <laughs> um so mike where were we i i've been gone for a while so <laughs> we'll drop off face the planet <laughs> I, did, right, back. I did i'm safe everyone's okay there wasn't a fire it's all good <laughs> that's good well we were just oh. uh oh what's up well i was gonna say what flavor of dog do you have flavor of dog this is a yeah. uh, yellow lab Labrador Retriever. Oh, okay. Yeah, her name is Kalisto. She's, uh, yes. So all of our animals have some sort of named in Greek or Roman mythology. It's kind of one of the nerdy things about me and Sarah. So our cat's name is Athena. So if that tells you anything. (laughs) I love it. Nice. Athena and Kalisto. Yep. Very cool. Um, where were we? I'm trying to remember. So I think, I think Josh, you had just talked a little bit about, um, PT instead of changing, uh, physical for physical therapy, it was perspective therapy. Um, yes. and I don't, I don't know if, if Jake heard that. Um, so maybe we could go back and kind of talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, I, I think some, especially, so our hospital, um, has a, a chronic pain, um, course that they actually teach um it's actually covered by insurance in the local area and it's actually been approved in a lot of different places and we talk about uh, mindfulness and other um you know non-opioid 
strategies for managing pain and uh, self-awareness and different reflective strategies as well as, you know, um, they do teach some Tai Chi and some yoga stuff and some movement things as well. Um, but I think the most effective tool in where we are as clinicians, especially as PTs and even chiropractors as well, um, we have a unique spot to just interact with this human and kind of figure out where they are in life. And we may not be able to affect all of it, but at least provide a small change in their perspective to actually, you know, hopefully affect them for the better. Um, you know, we we see in literature in the literature right now, you know, this whole neurophysiological effect of certain treatments. And I mean, if you break down the word into its simplest terms, it's really like it can be simply put as beliefs. So it, whatever us as clinicians believe that we're quote unquote doing to the patient is going to work, then yeah, you have that confidence and you're going to affect the system because of that confidence or whatever, you know, the patient is believing quote unquote from their uh, last conversation with their doctor about their x-ray or their MRI or from, you know, that other person that had that same surgery from theirs, but took them forever to really get back to to normal, you know, it affects your, your thought process and your outlook on what's really going on with you. So being able to help guide the perspective or at least provide more accurate information about where their perspective should be really placed on, I think is where we need to be um, as a profession. Yeah, I totally agree with that. We were just, uh, we were just talking with uh, uh, Steph Allen. Yeah. Uh, Yes, she's awesome, and she was she was talking a little bit about that too, just a little bit about um, uh, physical therapy and how maybe we're spending so much time on the physical aspect and not so much time on the on the therapy aspect. Um, yeah, so it's I think it's like similar to, to kind of like what you're saying there about changing perspectives and, and and working with your patients and kind of meeting them where they are. So that's pretty cool. I like that perspective therapy. I might need to put that on where we're trying to come up with some merchandise ideas. So perspective therapy might be, I'm going to trademark that um, intellectual property. I'm just calling dibs right now. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, how are you, how are you spelling it? Is it perspective or prospective? I'm a perspective. All right, Mike, our teacher is going to be prospective therapy. Um, <laughs> done. I just call, I just want one. If you guys make that happen, I want it. <laughs> what were what were some of our other like stupid t-shirt ideas mike uh did you guys see uh taylor eckle and the the gluteal amnesia that post that food around that was amazing i want that <laughs> so good it's so good like stone fire really are you sure about that did it just fall off your legs that's really sad <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> we, we've got the, what, the Be the Therapist You Want to See in the World by Gandhi. Yes. And, and then we, we tried to do, because there's the Che Guevara t-shirt, but then there's also Che Guevara wearing a Che Guevara t-shirt. Oh, that would be good, and too. So we wanted to do, like, Gandhi wearing a Gandhi shirt, and both of the shirts have his quote on them. Yes. Um. There's that. There's a lot of like other. We had. I don't know. I remember Abraham Lincoln. I don't remember what we we're gonna do with him. We well, uh, he was Abraham. I know we did that. Abraham. Yeah, yeah. that's Abraham classic. Lincoln. Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt. I think we just Stalin. took like random quotes and assigned them to like these 
broed out historical figures, but like nice. somehow it was therapy related. I don't know. Nice. I don't remember. Way to go, professors. I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, there comes the dad jokes. Yep. Thanks a lot, bro. Tato chip. Appreciate that. No problem. Bro's chicken bro man. <laughs> bro man. Yes. Oh my God. Oh. We'll save those for after we're done recording because there, there's a whole list we can get into. But Bro Sidon, <laughs> King of the Brotion. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I, <laughs> there are some funny stories. There's some high school stories with Bro Sidon. That's good. I like that. Papa, Papa Brooch. <laughs> Papa it's good. Solid. Solid. Broby One Kenobi. Broby One Kenobi is a good one. I'm trying to go through. There's a bunch of other ones. Uh, Han Brolo. Uh, Han Brolo. Uh, Bronin the Barbarian. Bronin oh, the Barbarian. Bronin. Yes. You know, speaking of uh, Han Brolo, uh, Brad often calls me Mannequin Skywalker. Mannequin Skywalker. That's dope. I like because that. my last name is Manly, and so like he would just find weird ways to use my name, and Mannequin Skywalker is one of his favorites. You know, Jacob, I, I got to say, man, for getting into Strongman and having the last name Manly, it works really, really well. So, I mean, if you do anything in any sort of strength sport, like hold on to that as like your meal ticket to get you anywhere. Like my last name is Manly. Come on now. <laughs> I mean, it helps. I just feel really bad for all the women in my family. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a lot of them. It was, we had of the, of my dad's generation, it was four brothers and a sister. And then like all the cousins, I think there's three female cousins and then like eight guys. So I mean the ratios there, but yeah, I'm sure they figured it out though. They probably ended up okay. Yeah. I mean, if they got teased, it just made them better, right? Exactly. What did, what did kill them made them stronger? Exactly. Uh, what is it? It's Mark Ripito's like stronger people are more resilient and uh, harder to kill. Is that, is that him? Probably. I think it's I think it's more, generally more useful and harder to kill. Generally more useful and harder to kill. Okay, I like that. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh man! Okay. So, so where are I, I, my guy, I I don't know where we are. Like I, I know that that's usually a common occurrence, but like after the internet fiasco, like Y two K twenty eighteen. Y2K18? Okay, it works. Y2K18. It'll fly. It'll fly. Yeah. I don't know where we are anymore. I'm lost. Uh, yeah. Uh, how about this? Uh, so what are some bad recommendations that you hear in your profession? You know, like whether that be in strength conditioning or whether that be in physical therapy, like what are some things that you hear that's just like just a bad advice and some things you want to squash? Some of the things that grind my gears, uh, we'll talk PT first. I had a conversation with a PT who shall remain nameless. Uh, she told me that sets and reps don't matter when it comes to PT. And I about had an aneurysm at that point. Um, for the premise of if you have a plan for any sort of rehab exercise, and this would go, and this is for even strength conditioning too, if you're going to have an exercise as part of your program or as part of your overall plan of care or anything like that, it needs to have a place. And 
regardless of what that you know um, purpose is, if it's just because you saw this on the internet and you wanted to include it because it uses the muscle groups that you think are part of the issue, sure, knock yourself out. But mm-hmm. if you don't have a purpose for the exercise, why are you doing it? Or if you don't have a purpose for this treatment, why are you doing it? Like it's an ethical question. Um, so to her, she's like, there's no point in having sets and reps. Like, well, yeah. And so it's an objective measure. If your patient could only do 10 reps of something last week, they do 20 reps of this week. That's like, it's a hundred percent increase. Like that's showing progress. Insurance cares about progress. That's yeah. on the other side. Um, the other thing that I see <laughs> too is, um, our girl, our female athletes, not in the gym. I don't know why we, I mean, I'm sure there's a whole lot of patriarchal society issues that are a big contributing factors of it. But like, I see way too many middle school and high school girls who don't know how to run without hurting themselves or know how to jump and land without hurting themselves like repeatedly. And we stick them back out on the playing field and it's like, okay, protect your ACLs. Good luck. See you later. I'm like what? No, get them a barbell teach them how to squat, teach them how to deadlift and make sure that we give them some resiliency to lean on um, and stop calling them bulky, stop calling them, you know, weird for being strong. Like strong women are a beautiful thing. We need them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, dude, I I feel you on that one. I think just trying to break that, that stigma and that stereotype of like, you know, like the bulkiness that comes with lifting weights I mean, even guys, guys will say it too. Like I'll have people, I've talked to people before and they're like, dude, can you write me a program? I'm like, sure, I can write you a program. And they're like, but I don't want to, I don't want to do a lot of weightlifting. Cause like, I don't want to get bulky. Then what are you trying to do, bro? What? What are you, why are you asking me to write you a program then? Yeah. What are you trying to do? But I think like, it's, it's just that mentality that if you touched, like if a female athlete like touches a barbell that they turn into like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger with like a woman's face. I mean, and that's to be fair, they're out there, but there are so many other factors that contribute to that as well. Like, as you both know, so no, there's, there's too many poor stigmas about strength training and yeah. Body image. And that's, yeah, that's a, that's a deep rabbit hole. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, a a lot of, a lot of what they, I guess what that stigma is associated with is like, you know, using artificial means to enhance your body. So like, mm-hmm. you know, taking all sorts of just like, you know, trend, Anavar, test, growth, right. all that stuff. In order to get that big as a female, you need to take a lot of those supplementations. And like, if you're just doing it for the sake of sport or, or rehab, you know, like you're not going to get that big. No. You're just going to be stronger and more resilient and generally more useful and harder to kill. Exactly. Um, you're not, you're not going to turn into me. You're not going to look like me with a wig on. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think, I think it takes a lot of people working together to try and break that, you know, male athletes, female athletes, rehab professionals, strength coaches. Like we all got to, Got to do our part to dispel those 
those myths. I mean, I think we're, we're seeing this big shift away from like, you know, for the longest time um, in fitness, we thought that cardiovascular health was like the primary marker of like physical fitness. And I think we're starting to finally see this push like to where strength training is, is just as effective, if not more so for overall health than what we deemed it earlier. We used to demonize squatting with your knees over your toes, which is hilarious to me. Um, but like one of the best, one of the, um, there's a study, I can't remember which lab did it. It's called, it's called the smart study. And they actually looked at mental capacity and all causes mortality in uh, strength training in the elderly. So 65 and older, and all of them reduced overall mortality risk by 35% or more or more after six weeks of three days a week of basic strength training, like a very simple linear periodization, um, with way under submaximal, you know, uh, um, of weights and you know a super easy protocol to follow and everybody got better like instead of looking at the founder of the youth as you know detox teas and waist trainers and you know test boosters maybe the founder of youth is actually a barbell you know or something of that yeah, effect so mm -hmm. it's just changing changing the landscape and our understanding of why we do the things that we do and critically looking at it um i think is hard um, you guys brought up in another, um, episode, you know, metacognition and thinking about the things that we do and the thinking about our, um, thinking, um, how do we know what we know and how do we challenge that? And how do we progress it to put our best foot forward? You know, we can throw out, you know, a random research article at any time to justify just about anything under, you know, planet earth. But at the same time, it doesn't make it valid. And is it still the best option for that person that's in front of you? Um, that sometimes is the dilemma of using, you know, evidence-based or being, you know, science-based medicine is like, just because you have one study that says this works, how does it contribute to the rest of the body of work? And is it really enough evidence to say that it's whatever you're trying to affect is actually from, you know, causality or if there are other factors involved, if something's typically yeah. too good to be true, it's probably because it isn't true. It's <laughs> a good point. I'm kind of interested on uh, what your thoughts and opinions on this are too. Like, wh where do you draw the line between uh, using evidence-based kind of practice and using anecdotal experience? Like, is there is there a line there, or like, or which way do you go? Like, what what direction do you take? Being one of you know a, coming from a a train of thought where like there's there's the ethics of of using science like science, I think is our best bet at being as objective as possible and removing as much bias as we can. Yeah. I think if we want to take a good hard look in the mirror as clinicians and ask why we do what we do or how we've got to this point as, as a profession, we see that there are a lot of gurus and self-proclaimed experts and mm -hmm. we don't really challenge them. Um, I, I use this pursuit of reading research and kind of learning about this stuff, not to be more right than the next person, but to be less wrong and to hold myself to a better standard. So I, I use anecdotes very gently. I know that they have their place, but at the same time, if I see a trend or I see something that I'm curious about or why this is happening, I want to see if there's a, a something that's been said about it before, because I'm sure that there are far smarter people who have noticed the same thing and probably have written something down about it. Um, and then I want to ask those questions as to why. Why do we see these trends? Why do we see these things happening? I think that makes a ton of sense. I'm just always curious because you see that stuff out there all the time where, um, you know, 
like you said, you have like these gurus or anything like that and, and people kind of not necessarily do challenge them. And so, um, I like, I really like that quote, you know, that you're, that you're reading research and kind of practicing this not to be right, but to be less wrong. Um, I just thought that was a good perspective to look at it and a good way to look at things. Uh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I think it's, I don't know. I feel like as young clinicians and as students, a lot of times that whole like EBP thing becomes like this nebulous and like weird concept that you don't fully understand. Mm-hmm. And I, I think people kind of like, I don't, did you guys see the, there was some Instagram post, uh, I want to say it was like two weeks ago. I want to say it was the performance PT or PT performance doc or something like that, mm-hmm. where he, he like was in a clinic and it was just a bunch of snippets of him doing different styles of physical therapy yeah like making fun of like you know the ebp practitioner or the manual therapist or this person that person Mm -hmm. and i think i think our i guess like our outward concept or you know what we perceive like an ebp practitioner to be is like just different than what it actually is you know it's not like somebody somebody's sitting there with like a you know a stack of research papers and is like shuffling through them to find what they can apply (laughs) to to the person sitting in front of them, you know what I mean? It's you're still you're still using your your gut instincts and what you know as a clinician. You're just using the larger body of evidence to kind of guide you along the path. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And, and as you find out new things or there's changes in what the body of evidence is saying, you you try to you know challenge yourself so that you are less wrong and maybe change the way that you're presenting things or change the way that you're implementing things as you learn more and more and more. And I think that like kind of approaching it more in that mindset and realizing that it's really just a continuation of, you know, PT as a profession, we're a con ed profession. Like mm-hmm. you're supposed to learn more stuff. Yeah. Right. You're supposed to change how you do things. You don't want to be the same as you are a year ago, because if you're not growing, you're not changing, you're failing everybody that you're working with, but you're also failing yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think, I think if you can kind of shift the way that you think about evidence and how to use it and look at it more as like, Yes, science science is how we, you know, objectively know things with the least amount of bias, but you know, I think just we as a as a profession for like students and young clinicians we've got to change that mindset. You know what I mean? And and just think about it differently. Sure. So that it's more of it's not like this weird nebulous concept like, oh, that person doesn't read research, that person's not evidence-based. You know yeah, I mean? I mean, I know plenty of people who quote unquote read research or they, we just, we see this all the time with like different, the latest and greatest, you know, uh, con ed course, whether it's dry needling, whether it's taping, whether it's cupping, whatever. And like, there will be some handful of articles that, you know, become tied to this different, you know, treatment school or this, you know, um, school of thought. And I mean, it justifies it into a certain degree, but it's really how do you look at those pieces of paper and at those articles? How are they structured? Is this information really giving as much credence to this idea or is it just enough to just justify, you know, a selling point or like a, a different item that you're trying to sell or market to you people? Like, why are we doing what we're doing? Are we, are we touting ourselves as doctors of movement sciences just because it makes us feel better and so we can actually get better in reimbursement? Or it's because we actually hold ourselves to a high enough standard to realize that the body of things that we are learning about and the things that we know is growing and we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be complacent in that. We, we should be wanting to give our best foot forward, not just something that sells, you know, uh, 
or gets people in the door. Like there needs to be a higher standard with that. You need, I think our greatest skill is being able to think and critically challenge um, the things that we're doing. Definitely. But I think, I think kind of along that same mindset, you know, you you see all these guru, like courses and stuff like that. And I think that, that doesn't what you're saying doesn't mean like oh my god don't take those courses like don't ever go to like an fms course or like grassin or anything like that i mean there's certainly again things that you can glean and pull from those those experiences plus they give you ceus yeah you know what i mean and if the clinic's paying for it your clinic's paying for it um but i you know I, i it's it's interesting for me i guess because mike and i are both like having that exos background that we did we're both very much like kind of like, you know, we use the SFMA a good mm-hmm. bit. You know, are we telling our patients that they're dysfunctional, painful, or functional, <laughs> you know, non-painful? No, we're not doing that. We're, we we utilize like that algorithm and a lot of those things um, just as a, a quick screen for to see, you know, globally, how do you move? Yeah. Right? Like what does your hip rotation look like? What does this look like? But I think it's all about how you frame a lot of those things and don't get sucked into like that guru, you know, mindset of this is the only way there's, there's tons of good knowledge in a lot of those courses. It's just how you use it, how you, like you said, think critically about it and challenge a lot of those questions that are in the air, um, with those courses. Like I I know me, I'm taking a grass in an M2 course this summer because we got M1 in school. Do I think I think that I'm going to be changing people's like tissue structure and breaking like myofascial adhesions. Hell no. (laughs) But I mean, you know, it's just, it's another course I can take. I can learn some stuff. And you know, if there's, I've, I've found that I don't really use that a lot, but there are people that specifically ask for it because they believe that it's the only thing that can, can help them. And so you can kind of use that as a way to go, hey, you know, yeah, we can do this for like five minutes, but here's what's really going to make a difference. For so this is kind of why I brought up the ethical dilemma of, you know, being evidence-based. So that whole interchange of like that person believing that this Graston or this dry needling is going to be the thing that changes them. That's why I'd push back as a clinician to say, I think ethically we need to hold ourselves to a higher standard if we know that the evidence for these techniques is lacking and we know that there are better things that we could do, like being able to reframe it with our words. Like our words matter and the semantics of how we, you know, talk to our patients and empower our patients go way further than sometimes just what this quote unquote passive treatment or any kind of treatment is to do. I mean, if you look at what we do as as a whole, everything is quote unquote a modality of some sort, whether it's exercise, whether it's patient education, whether it's manual therapy or whatever the case may be. If we know that our words are just as effective, if not more effective than let's say a Graston tool, why aren't we using that more often to affect that? Why do they have that belief in the first place? Because they saw it on an Instagram post or somebody's cousin or brother, or sister's girlfriend's dog's niece's uncle's nephew told them that it worked for sure. them. But like, I mean, yeah. I'm, go ahead. It, it, oh, I was just going to say like, we, we have, we have people that like, I'm seeing a guy right now that's two years post TKA mm-hmm. and he came to our clinic because we have people that, that are, have taken a grassing course. Like, do I want to do that with him? No. no. 
but how do you that's 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 where it gets into like how do you how do you carefully broach that like from a therapeutic alliance sure. standpoint this dude's only coming here because they, we have a clinic that offers this service sure. you got to it's it's a tricky game man it can be uh and you're absolutely right this is where i think sometimes our value and our soft skills goes far beyond where our hands-on skills go. So if that were if that were a person that came to my clinic and asked me about these things, I would kind of flip the script on them and ask them where they got these ideas about this technique or what do they heard about it? And then why do they think it's actually going to make the, the difference now? Or what else kind of affected how they got to my door? Um, and then as you kind of let the wheel spin and let people you know, um, tell their story and kind of hear themselves say how they got here. Usually there's a light bulb somewhere that's like, this doesn't all add up. I'm not actually sure why this doesn't add up, but the way that I'm thinking about this problem now isn't quite right because there are other factors that could also be at play. And that's your in. And that's kind of like taking motivational interviewing type skills if you had to use the technique on it. Like it's taking those skills to get a patient to see where they're coming from and be a little bit more comfortable with being uncomfortable about how they see what's going on. Hmm. So you just blew my mind. Huh? <laughs> you just blew my mind. <laughs> if you guys get the chance, uh, motivational interviewing is a great technique course on just like your soft skills. And it sounds absolutely ridiculous because you watch some of these videos and they're mostly done in the realm of psychology. But like you're essentially saying a bunch of uh, affirmation statements and summarizing what a person is telling you and you're gently directing them into um, a mindset of change. And so like everybody kind of is in this spectrum of change. If people are not ready to change their minds about something, they're not going to. Um, it's, you know, uh, you can then get into different biases uh, and fallacies about that kind of stuff in the social psychologies. Um, if you get the chance to check out a book uh, by David McCraney called You Are Not So Smart. It's a wonderful podcast as well, too, but it talks about why we as humans do really ridiculous things. Like, why do we procrastinate? Um, why do we further entrench ourselves whenever we hear something conflicting to what we believe in? You know, and being able to suss out, you know, what that person is going through in front of you and helping them guide through the fact that like, it's okay that you've had this difference in opinion. It doesn't mean you're less, you know, wrong and a terrible person for it, but this is how we can affect your perspective to make you better. This is how we can for sure get you better. And it's not what I'm going to do to you. It's what you're going to do for yourself. See right there. <laughs> it's not what we're going to do, but it's what they're going to do for themselves. Yeah. That's what it's all That's about. That's a huge tangent. I'm sorry I ranted like that, y'all. <laughs> it was beautiful. No, it's it's fine, man. It's just like I mean, a lot of what you're talking about. It's being, I guess, being like a young clinician and only been doing this for like four months, yeah. and and just being exposed to like a lot of paradigm shifts and stuff that like you know what you learn in school and then versus like what I'm seeing on clinical athlete, like other evidence that I'm being exposed to. It's it's hard to like. It's a slow. I mean, it's not necessarily a slow process, but it's tough to have your paradigms just like change so oh, quickly. Yeah. Uh, and I I hear you there. It's 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 hard. Like I mean, me now compared to me four months ago, completely different therapist. 
but a lot of those techniques and stuff that you're using, like those are skills that take a long time to hone. And it's that it's like a very delicate process of like talking to people and trying to use your words to, um, you know, to do, to do what we're talking about and kind of change their mind, change their perspectives, reframe beliefs. It's, it's hard, man. I mean, here's the irony of the kind of my story and journey in this, in this field. So, um, St. Augustine is a manual therapy school, uh, hands down, like your manual orthopedic skills are off the charts, uh, walking out of that, walking across that stage. Um, and I, my, uh, rotation in Atlanta was all manual therapy based, like that clinician, that's all he wanted you to really focus on. And like your hand skills were essentially how you passed or not passed your, your rotation. And then I meet guys like Derek and his mentor, and I've talked to guys like Mike. And then like, we had the really hard conversations of what is manual therapy really doing? And it completely forced me to be uncomfortable with how do I know what I know and what do I, what don't I know now, but I want to know later and how do I invest in that? And being a clinician and being a young, you know, just young in any sort of field, there's a bunch of bumps in the road in the beginning. It's like getting into any strength sports. You got to start with the bar first before you put, you know, plates on there, or even if you just put tens on there, it's still progress. And you got to put in the reps and the time and the energy and be intentional with that time and energy that you spend to it to make the most of it down the line. And then you can look back and see, it's like, yeah, I've learned a lot. I've struggled a lot and I've screwed up a lot, but there's so much growth that has been from that too. <laughs> that which does not challenge you does not change you. hundred uh, percent. It's funny. Uh, Derek would get asked all the time on the forum. He's like, how do you know so much about all this research? You know, and how, how have you done this? He's like, dude, I've put in the mental reps. I've been a PT for almost 10 years. Like, and I, and I've seen it. He has like a research article at his desk at all times or on his computer. It's, it's ridiculous. Like he's checking out on a patient, reading a paper, moving on. He's almost robotic, and it's kind of scary, but also impressive at the same time. And so you just keep him putting in the reps. So I try to get at least one or two systematic reviews in a week where I can, um, or at least kind of accumulate stuff on a topic. And if I've got some extra time to kill, that's where I focus. So right now it's concussions. Um, last month it was on uh, – psychological processes for low back pain, for chronic pain type stuff, kind of understanding where our chronic pain program is going and how do we make it even better in places where it's not offered. So it's just being hungry, staying hungry all the time. I love that though. Dude, oh, go ahead, Jake. Oh, no, Mike, go do your thing. Well, I was just saying, um, you know, the mental reps aspect of things and, and just like the little, the little steps kind of add up, you know, um, because you're, you're mentioning, uh, you know, just like doing the little things here or there, you know, like you're reading an article here or there when you have time or you find like different ways you can kind of collect information and all of this, um, that stuff compounds over time, you know, so you put in those mental reps and then, you know, down the road, people will be asking you the same thing. They're like, how do you, how did you collect all this information? How do you know all this stuff? You're like, well, dude, I put in the mental reps. <laughs> and also I got so. a lot of stuff wrong. And like, I think, and that's where I'm at too. And like, by no means do I consider myself an expert. I'm very, very new <laughs> to understanding like the body of evidence that we, we use on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, like I'm having to go back through some of my physiology textbooks to make sure I understand like 
different mechanisms for mechanotransduction and swelling principles and all these types of things. Like I'm, I'm just really curious about it and I want to put my best foot forward. Like I, I don't want to give the person in front of me the wrong information just because they've already had to go through so much to get to where they are right now. So if I can help affect one person just by making sure that they know that they're going to be all right, then I've done my job. Yeah. Awesome. Dude, kind of kind of random question in this same realm of sure. stuff. How 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 often do you touch patients? Uh assessments only pretty much. Um occasionally if I have a, a couple a couple things that just don't seem to quote unquote get better the way I like to, I'll occasionally tinker and see like if they have some passive range of motion stuff or if they're being overly sensitive to certain, you know, different movements and things like that. And I might do some hands-on stuff, but other than that, I'm fairly hands-off. I always measure success by um, how many patients I don't touch and how many patients do deadlifts a day. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, I have... Every joint replacement that I see learns how to squat and deadlift by the time I'm done with them. Uh, let's see. And I'm pretty sure any of like my general just deconditioning patients, they all do as well too. And I think now I'm starting to get more of my shoulder, like all my post-op shoulders to start pressing to some degree. And it's not heavy stuff, but like getting them to do a strict press to feel more confident, picking up that, you know, glass off the top shelf goes a long way. That it does. You're making it functionally relevant for them. Yeah. You know, so it's huge. <laughs> so given that uh, some of our listeners are, you know, interested in pursuing physical therapy, athletic training, a health profession, something like that, mm-hmm. or are on their way to begin graduating and all that too. So w- what kind of advice would you give um, to any of those students that are about to start or about to graduate? Um you know, just about, just in general, like what kind of advice, what should they expect? Um, what kind of advice should you give or, or should they, uh, should they have with them as they're okay. about to embark? <laughs> um, use the process to pay your dues. Um, whether you're going in as a medical doctor or a PT or a Cairo or an ATC, like learn from the people around you, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Ask, ask a lot of questions and, um, uh, embrace the process as part of, you know, cutting your teeth. Um, and the other thing, it's okay to be wrong so long as you use that to learn, uh, for next time. Um, I think if you're going to be, be intentional with the lessons that you're going to try and glean from whatever this experience was. Um, and if you're going to go toe to toe with somebody, you know, on a topic, stand your ground, you know, even if you're going to be completely wrong or got to go down with the sinking ship, you know, stick with it and learn (laughs) something from that too. Uh, I've been in plenty of discussions where I've just been talked circles around on a topic that I had no business getting myself into, but that's how I learned a little bit more about having that conversation the next time with another person. Mm-hmm. I can dig it. You know, <laughs> dare to be bad. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, and then being comfortable being wrong, yeah. I think is, is, is pretty huge too. Yeah. It, you reminded me there's a, have you read the book, um, being wrong adventures in the margins of error? Uh, it's on my, it's on the queue. I have like a very long list of Amazon books, but yes, I want to get into that one. Is it good? 
It's good. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's actually an entertaining read. Okay. Um, and so it's a it's it's a journalist who's just like talking about their like her whole like experiences with wrong, and she calls it wrongology. I love it. <laughs> which I thought was kind of cool. The study of being wrong, and she, yeah. So she gives a bunch of different like anecdotes and like different stories, um, but also backs it up with some some of like the research that she's done as well. So that's been kind of cool. Nice. Um, but it's it's just been a good like perspective opener and like mind widener. Um, I'm only on like page 70 or something like that. So not very far into it, but, uh, what she just said kind of reminded me of that. Awesome. Uh, I've got to check it out. I'm, that sounds great. Mike, when you said wrongology, it instantly made me think of Wombology, <laughs> the study of Wombo. <laughs> Did you set it to Wombo? <laughs> I Wumbo, you Wumbo, oh, Wumbo, he, she, it Wumbo. <laughs> oh man, Wombology, the study of Wumbo. Oh man, that's so perfect. <laughs> well played, well played, Jake. Well played, Jacob. <laughs> that's how my brain works, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, we there has to be some lightness in in what we do. I think. Did you guys see uh, Ben Fung's post the other day about uh, the Harlem Shake and like when that was like the big thing and we saw a bunch of PT clinics doing that? No. Uh, oh, no. this is hilarious. So I I was having a rough clinic day and uh, Dr. Fung is hilarious and also really good physical therapy business mind and so like he put up this thing about how um we spend so much time you know on social media seeing like the latest and greatest and all the different trends and fads and he's like do you remember when the harlem shake was a fad and like he had like the top 10 harlem shakes done by like physical therapy clinics and like just how ridiculous it was and like you know remember why we do this profession and like like have some lightness to the day too and like i watched that video probably like six or seven times um my couple of my coworkers were like dude what are you watching like why are you giggling so much so true man so gotta have balance absolutely yeah I'm, I'm looking up the video right now so we can put it in the show notes. yes please do uh it, he's it's one of his more recent um posts okay Perfect. So make sure we find it. Okay. <laughs> Love it. Dude, that when that was a thing, and then when Call Me Maybe videos oh were a thing. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, Call Me Maybe was genius. Uh-huh. What uh I'm trying to think of other stuff. What else got big? What what went viral? Uh gosh, there were so many. So many good ones too, and some not so good ones too. Like I didn't understand the whole planking phenomenon when that was a big thing. Like planking just seems stupid to me. Um, yeah. yeah. The ice bucket challenge. That T-boating. No, okay. The ice bucket challenge. I did the T-bow a lot. I actually one of my favorite pictures when I got to study abroad was I I did I T-bowed on top of Mount Vesuvius. That was kind of cool. So. That was kind of cool. That is very cool. So, <laughs> there, there are a couple merits to T-Bowing, and I'm a big fan. I, it was sad to see him not play. Uh, I don't know what he did in baseball, but he's he's too huge of a human. Makes sense. So, didn't he? So fun didn't he, fact. I thought he hit a home run at his first at bat. So yeah, he's he's on a um, like a the Binghamton Mets like farm team. Is he really? Um, yeah. So I grew up in Binghamton, New York, which is in upstate New York. Okay. And he went to the team that used to be we they used to be called the Binghamton Mets, but this is a you'll get a kick out of this name. They changed their name now. They're the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. 
<laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not kidding you. They're they're called the Binghamton Rumble oh, Ponies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so Tim Tebow is now a rumble pony. Oh my gosh, um, this is amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, I think my whole world has been made complete. That's fantastic. Tim Tebow is mm-hmm. no longer a Bronco. He is a rumble pony. He's a rumble pony. That is fantastic. Yes. <laughs> so, so there you go. There we go. Fun fact. That's 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 the ending note right there. That's your mic drop. Done. <laughs> <laughs> Which is perfect because <laughs> we do have a, we've got one last question for okay. you and then, um, yeah, we're getting, we're running up to that point at the time anyway. So that's good. Um, yeah. So there's, there's one question that we always ask all of our guests at the end of our show. Um, so, you know, we here at the Booba docs, we believe in always moving forward and all that you do. So based on all of your previous experience and knowledge, life, love, the pursuit of happiness, what is one piece of advice that you'd give to anyone listening to this show to help them be the best versions of themselves? Oh, that's an awesome question. I'm glad you guys uh, asked this one. Um, don't underestimate the basics. Um, we as human beings don't, you know, I think there's, there's so much that can be gained from just, um, adequate sleep, good food, good hydration, um, and just good relationships. So, you know, have a balance for the things that you do. Um, we live in a society that really likes to pride itself on how busy you are being a human doing, but there's definitely a benefit to being a human being as well too. There's, there's wonderful balance there. <laughs> a human being, not a human doing. Well balanced between. That's awesome. <laughs> I'll I'll be right back, guys. I'm gonna go hop on a boaster bowl. <laughs> please do. Um, please <laughs> put on the gram. Um, it's gonna improve your Berg balance score and your Tenetti by at least five points each. So knock yourself out. And your stone cleans are gonna go up by at least ten kilos. So get after it. <laughs> I, I hope so. <laughs> this is clearly the missing link in my training. I think so. I'm not do- doing enough isolated BOSU That work. and you might be using the wrong brand of ace wraps around your knees too. So we might need to look into that. Oh, what is the brand I'm supposed to be using? Uh, you know, after after the the show is over, I can't give away all my secrets. So the guru in me has to keep a few things oh. to myself. <laughs> That's too funny. Wow. How very guru of you. But for 10 easy payments of $59.99, you can learn all of my business secrets and join, you know, I'm not even going to go there. I'm done. <laughs> oh, Josh, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on our show. Thank you, guys. This is awesome. Oh, this is perfect. Uh, if anybody wants to get in contact with you, what's the best way that they can do that? Um, so a couple different ways. Uh, for the Human Movement Rehab, if you are in Oregon, or um, also I do a little bit of some remote um, programming for weightlifting, um, I'm on Instagram at the Human Movement Rehab. Um, if you want my personal Instagram, I post a lot of food pictures and stuff with my fiance and my dog and my family. Um, that's at DJ House Brother. Um, on Instagram, and then um, it's the same Facebook page for the Human Movement as well, the Human Movement Rehab and Training on Facebook. Um, we're working on getting some more blog stuff put together, and hopefully some T-shirts in the somewhat near future. Um, it's still kind of a growing project, but thank you guys for uh, supporting this and having me on here and listening to me rant and tell really bad jokes. So appreciate what you guys do. <laughs> Y'all are awesome. Oh, we appreciate you, man. <laughs> we try to be on weekends. <laughs> 
weekends only. Uh, Have a standard. Weekends only. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for tuning in this week where we spoke with Josh Walters, PTDPT of the Human Movement. If you have any questions, concerns, comments, or have a topic that you'd like us to discuss, shoot us an email at tmdmovementdocs at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.